podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello and welcome. I'm Les Bubka and you're listening to Accidental Podcast or something like that. My today's guest is Gary Savage, author of the book called Karate Doesn't Work in a Phone Box. Hello, Gary. How are you? Hi, Les. How are you, mate? I'm okay. Thank you. Um, we all have got our um, preferred style systems. For me, it is karate. Oh. For you, possibly, it's the Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, what I gathered from studying reading a book. Could you tell us um, something about you, your background, and mainly why BJJ, not something else? Okay, I started off in karate. I was 12 years old when I took my first karate class. Uh, Shotokan karate under Steve Kappel. I was part of the Red Triangle uh, karate school in Liverpool. Um, and karate was my life from being 12 years old, straight up. I have the utmost respect for karate. Let's just lay that straight out there. <laughs> um, there's no, uh, the title is, it could come across as being disrespectful to karate. It shouldn't be taken that way. Um, they say you shouldn't judge a book by the cover, you should read the book. It's nothing about being judgmental about karate or being disrespectful. So let's lay that one out. Let's lay that go to the rest straight away. Um, with, with my background, my dad was an unarmed combat instructor in the British Army. And from a very early age, he taught me how to box, how to do some rudimentary grappling that I recognize as Aikido um, and some traditional Japanese jiu-jitsu. Um, my dad was only a small guy. I'm not the tallest guy. I'm five foot eight. My dad was smaller than that. He was about five foot three, but he was a tough guy. You know, he could, he could actually, um, you know, make these techniques work. When I used to see him make them work against guys who were bigger than him, I wanted to be like that. I wanted to do that. Um, and badgered him for, for years and years to teach me how to fight, how to do it. You know, and he eventually would show me odd things, wrist locks, um, how to throw basic punches from boxing, elbow strikes, headbutts, things like that. Um, but my problem was I was always, in his words, too handy with my fists. I used to fight a lot as a child. I took that as a compliment. He didn't mean it as such. He used to mean, you know, you shouldn't go out looking for trouble. You're always in fights. You get into these situations. I now realized many years later that I have mental health condition, which, which got me into situations. Um, but my dad at some point decided that the best route for me was to go to a more traditional uh, route of learning. And eventually gave up at my whining and let me join a karate class. I was a massive Bruce Lee fan. Bruce Lee still is a major influence on me. He's a god to me, um, as he is to many martial artists. And many martial arts, he was the root of them getting into martial arts, similar for me. When I first saw a picture of Bruce Lee, I couldn't see a film. But I just knew by looking at the picture, this guy was, he was like amazing. You know, the way he stood, the way of him. I knew he would be good. I didn't have to see him move. Um, and eventually my mum got me into, took, took me to karate lessons in Southport, which was near to where I lived. And uh, I joined the Shotokan KUJ, KUGB, KUGB, yeah, Karate Union of Great Britain, Shotokan Karate, which was a red triangle shoot, or, uh, offshoot. 
uh, under Steve Cattle. And I loved it. I loved the training. And it was the first time in my life where I felt at home. I felt like I, I belonged to something. I know that you can you respond to this because I've read your book and it was a similar thing. When I read your book, it really resonated in me. I thought, you're talking as if that's me. That happened to me. First day I walked in the dojo, yeah, I was nervous. I was anxious, but I felt at home immediately in there. I felt like I'd found my nirvana. That was the place for me. And suddenly all the fighting, all of the, the, the anger in me dissipating, I could use it in a more positive way. So that's my background from karate. But from there, I got introduced um, to judo by a very good friend of mine at school. And we used to have these little toy fights, those mock-up fights where we'd go, who do you think could win, the karate guy or the judo guy? And yeah, if he got over me and took me to the floor, I thought, yeah, I'm in trouble here. But um, I, I only got to purple belt level in shot at time karate. I was a purple belt by about 13 years old. Um, he was around a green belt in judo, I believe. And we used to swap ideas. We were Bruce Lee mad. So we were talking about the Jeet Kune Do sort of concepts of trading ideas and mixing things up even back then. Um, and then from there, we both joined a Japanese jiu-jitsu academy um, and took it from there. So that's something of my background of how I got into martial arts. From there, um, the first UFC came about. Someone handed me a very dodgy VHS copy of it. I spent like the night watching it. I watched it over and over again. At first, I thought, this is a load of crap. This is rubbish. Look at these guys. They're not using the techniques that I can recognize. They just look like two drunken barroom brawlers. And then Hoist Gracie stepped out as part of this long train of his brothers and uncles, his father. And he got in the octagon and it just changed something in me. It just changed everything up. So from that moment on, I wanted to learn Brazilian jiu-jitsu. And that's what I am. That's what I've done. So I done a little bit of a BJJ, I do really like, but um, the first, as we know, the first year is the most difficult one when the injury is um, occurring and you have to go through that. Uh, unfortunately, my work didn't allow me to go through that. So uh, I do a li li uh, limited amount of groundwork in my karate, so just to get up, but nothing on the, on the level. But I can recognize that, that it's very positive as well uh, for your mental health, um, same as karate or any other, other um, sports and martial arts. Could you tell me um, what impact has martial arts or have uh, had on your mental health or have on that mental health? Yeah, I'd like to say when I was a child, I just, I couldn't understand why I didn't seem to fit in with other kids or fit into what society would deem as normal, uh, whatever that is. I don't believe there's such a thing, but I found it very difficult. My brother's very outgoing. He would be out playing. I would be on my own reading or, or sitting in a dark cupboard, imagining things and making up stories in my head. And I, I was very different to how he was at times very introverted but then at other times very extroverted so I could go very quickly from being on the floor very low what my mum used to call Marty which is you know in other people say oh you're a Marty get you know cheer your face up but I, I couldn't do that inside me I was like you know very very um confused really by why the feelings I had you know and, and at other times I was jumping about and throwing kicks and spinning these nunchuckers around my head my dad would go mad say sit down calm down what's going on with you 
un, unbeknown to me, I have bipolar, had bipolar from being very young. It didn't get diagnosed in me until many, many years later. So uh, my mental health was very much up and down, very, very confusing for me. Made me an angry child, made me an introverted child, made me a hyper child. It, it made so many, there were so many different aspects to my mental health and still are to this day, to be honest. You know, my students will tell you one day I'll go in, I'm singing and dancing around the dojo. The next, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm very low, you know, but that's life with me. That's the life I've chosen. That's the life I have. I am chosen. That's the life I have. Mm-hmm. I have to adapt to it. Now, with martial arts, like I said to you earlier, the first day I stepped into the dojo, I felt like I belonged to something. I felt like I, this was the world I fitted into, if you like. This is the world that I understood. I understood it straight away. I understood the discipline. I understood the camaraderie. I understood that you could make very good friendships. I understood the fact that, you know, you had to uh, listen to learn. You had to watch to learn. You had to be quiet. You had to focus your attention and focus your mind. And martial arts has given me that. It's been the best medicine I've ever had. You know, I've tried. I tried medication. I've tried medication. When I first got diagnosed, they put me on um, very, very high dose of um, a drug called quetiapine, which made me into a zombie. It nearly... It ruined my whole life for that time I was on it because I couldn't, I couldn't do anything. I couldn't, I couldn't drive. I couldn't go to the gym. I couldn't train. I was putting weight on. They did tests on my phys- physicality to see if um, the drug was working, you know, against me. Um, it was. It was ruining my liver function. So I took the decision to come off medication for bipolar probably three years into taking it, which um, was the hardest battle I've ever been in. And the book talks about that whole struggle to get off that medication. But the one thing that got me off it was martial arts, martial arts training and going back to those life lessons we learn growing up and, and, and learning from white belt um, to black belt, those lessons you learn, not physicality, not the physicality, I mean, how to knock somebody out with a Gaia Kazuki or a, or a Mai Gary or a Mawashi. I don't mean the physicality, I mean the other aspects of martial arts that they give you. Martial arts are so, so deeply entrenched in, in a philosophy, philosophical um, uh, lessons that we have to look into them to learn them, you know. Um, if you just take martial arts as a physical thing, you're missing out on so much. Mind, body, and spirit of martial arts very important. So in terms of your question, what have martial arts done? In terms of my mental health, they've done everything. They've saved my life, you know, and, and that's not that's not being overly dramatic. You know, I've been close to close to the edge several times in my life. Um, as a lot of bipolar sufferers will tell you, it's very it's a very black place to be sometimes, you know. Um, you have to find ways to fight your way out of that corner. And that's that's something that I had to look back on my life to get to the future, really, which sounds quite deep, but, um, you know, you, you have to find ways to fight things and how to fight them in different ways. So, yeah, martial arts have been everything to me. Well, I think I, I can I can relate a little bit. I, um, I haven't suffered as as much as you were describing, but uh, whoever I talk who've got some kind of um, an anxiety, bipolar, or depression, they say the same thing. Martial arts just drug them out of that. Um, so it's a great story. 
yeah, it's like an anchor for you. It holds you down at times when you want to hit the ceiling and jump about. And at other times it lets you go and it makes you very creative, you know. Mm-hmm. Bipolar isn't, I don't see bipolar as much as other people do as a curse. I sometimes see it as a gift. And that sounds very strange, but when you're on those highs, when you're on the hyper part of bipolar, you're very creative. You're a very creative mind, so you're able to do things. I mean, I wouldn't have been able to write a book without being in those hyper states. I can't write when I'm on the floor. I can't write when I'm low, but I can write when I'm high, when I'm hyper. And, and those states are a gift to me sometimes, you know. And what drugs do, drugs make you very mellow. They put you on a, a flat line, if you like. You can't, you can't go above or below it. You just, you're just there. You're on a flat line. So um, I didn't want that. I would rather take the lows t- to have that release of the highs as well. So that's where I am. In, that's in, in my view, bipolar isn't always a curse, you know. It's not, it's not great to be bipolar by any stretch of the imagination, but I don't see it as, as, as a curse. Sometimes it can be a gift. I think that's a very positive outlook for a, for a thing, uh, for a, a bipolar. Um, I think not many people have it like that. Um, so what, what made you, you sat down one day and thought, yeah, I'm going to write this book. Uh, for me, with my book, it was... Um, getting ready to have a family and don't make mistakes with my dad done. What, what drive you to, to write a book? It started after a very bad episode with bipolar for me. It started, um, I had a very bad breakdown and wanted to write down some things, get my thoughts onto paper really. I've always liked writing, I've always aspired to write, always wanted to write a book. So for me to sit down and start to write, is sometimes the best way to express myself. You know, talking to you is great, but I could probably express things better if I wrote to you, if that makes sense. I can write things down. I can get them out there. And, and it, was, it was very um, it was cathartic, really, to start to write. And then I started to see a flow in this book and thought, it wasn't a book. It was just a, a bunch of ideas um, that stemmed from something that um, I used to help me through the struggle. I always had the title, Karate Doesn't Work in a Phone Box. And the reason being, I know that um, you're going to probably ask me where the title came from. Mm, yeah. This sort of leads into that. I always had the title, Karate Doesn't Work in a Phone Box. It was something said to me many years ago by my father. He, um, I came on one day from school dripping in blood. I'd been in a fight with a guy another kid and he pulled my hair and he scratched me and I was very much like that's not fair dad is it you shouldn't do that you know well, that's not fair you shouldn't fight like that he's fighting like excuse me fight like a girl we would say in, back in the day I know that's a sexist thing to say now and I apologize for that but that's the way I said it to my dad um he looked back and he said look you've got to in life you have to adapt to your surroundings so if somebody's trying to to, to punch you or kick you, that's fine. You punch and kick back. But if someone's pulling your hair and grabbing you and doing this, like, you have to adapt to that situation. And it was something that stayed with me. And then Bruce Lee came out with a very similar thing. He said, you've got to adapt or be destroyed. You have to, you have to change up what you're doing or you will be destroyed. And very much in, in, when I was battling this episode, this blackness that was enveloping me, I wanted to get down in words what that meant. And the, the whole thing about karate doesn't work in a phone box. The fight to get, to get past 
the feelings I was feeling, the suicidal thoughts I was having, the, the medication, how it made me feel. I, I likened it back to what my dad said about, he'd say to me, look, your karate is all right. He says, your karate is great. My dad called karate everything, by the way. Bruce Lee did karate to my dad. He weren't, you know, being disrespectful. Your karate is all well and good. He said, but what, what would you do if, uh, on a Saturday night you're in a phone box and some guy jumps on you? You can't use karate. You can't kick and punch in a phone box. My dad didn't understand there was bunkai and karate and you can't actually use karate. You can use anything in close quarter combats. But my, my dad didn't see that. He only saw what Bruce Lee was doing on the silver screen. He saw the high kicks, the, the fighting at range. So that was, his, that was his example to me. You can't use it. You'd have to do something else. You'd have to do things that you didn't feel were ethical and yet you have to do them to survive. So I use that whole concept of my fight against bipolar where the medical profession is telling me you are ill, you're sick and you will take these pills and you will do what everybody else does and you will be well then. Well, no, that doesn't work for me. That doesn't work. If that's in the phone box, that ain't going to work for me. I've got to find a way of fighting out of that battle. I've got to use something else. So whether that's using, you know, an elbow strike or in a phone box or a gouge or whatever, that was my battle. That was my whole concept to beating bipolar, if you can beat it. So in terms of the, the title of the book, that's where it comes from. My dad said it, Christ doesn't work in a phone box. It all stuck with me because it annoyed me. It annoyed the hell out of me at the time because karate was my world, as it probably has annoyed every karate guy to see the title of my book and gone, well, I'm going to tell you now, mate, it does work because you can use this, this and this. And interestingly, some of the people who message me and say on my book, on the adverts, they go, oh, you're doing the wrong style of karate, you're doing this. And I'll message them saying, read the book, read, just read the book. It ain't about what works in a phone box. Who fights in a phone box? Who wants to get in a fight in a phone box? Not me. It's just a metaphor for a battle I fought in and something my dad said, and it's in honour of him. There you go. So that's that's what it means. Uh, I, I think it's a great way of honouring your dad. I, I take it, um, I get it totally. Um, I've got the book I was going to ask you. I changed my question now. So karate doesn't work in the phone box. Hey, nobody knows what the phone box is now. <laughs> nobody using it. And that's the second thing, as they always say. They always comedians come on and go, What's a phone box? And I'm like, I've never seen a dinosaur in my life, mate, but I know what a dinosaur is. Read a book, look at your history, yeah? But, but did you um, expect it that it's going to be controversial? Did yeah. you have a bit of a kind of hesitation? Should I use it? Should I, I use it? Hesit I had a hesitation in as much as I've worked with some incredible karate guys in my time. Let me name drop a couple of people. There's a guy called Mark Hodson. Okay. Let's forget all the, the Japanese masters I trained with as a kid, Sensei Inouda, Kawazawa, uh, and people like, let's, let's talk about people we can relate to on a day-to-day -day business. There's a guy called Mark Hodgson in Cumbria, who's one of the best karate guys I've ever, ever seen in my life. He's worked the doors. I've known him for years. I've known him since we were young lads. I've seen him use karate. I know that he can make karate work. He's now a jiu-jitsu student. He's a brown belt under me in jiu-jitsu. Um, Ian Abernethy, we spoke earlier about Ian Abernethy. Ian and I shared techniques many years ago. Uh, Ian invited me along to one of these, I think it was a Friday night session he had on where it was a kind of anything goes, sort of go down, very open class sort of mentality. Um, and I used to go down and I would train 
show techniques. He'd show me stuff. I'd share techniques with him. I was very impressed with his open-mindedness. And since then, I followed the, you know, I followed the bunkai things that he talks about. I find them fascinating. I find all of that fascinating. I'm a martial arts fan. I'm not, you know, deriding anything. But yeah, in answer to your question, when I first came came up with the title, it was to one of my dad. It was to one of that. It was to explain to me my battle against the bipolar. It weren't for any other reason. If people took exception to it and were upset by it, I could explain to them, I knew I could explain to them by them opening the book and reading the first few chapters. By the time they got to the last chapter, they would totally see that that book is nothing but an absolute, um, it, it's in praise of martial arts. Martial arts saved my life. Karate is a massive part of that. So in terms of that, yes, I thought it would be very controversial you know, I spoke to people about it. They laughed about it. I can remember Mark, when I spoke to Mark about it, Mark just says, I love the idea you're writing a book. He says, I hate the title. And I'm like, Mark, just read the book, mate. Just just read the book. But yeah, so I would apologise to every crackhead out there who reads the title of that book and thinks I'm taking the piss, because I'm, I'm certainly not. You know, it's, it's nothing to do with that. Um, but yeah, in terms of karate, judo, I, I've studied a lot of martial arts through my life, because I'm an avid... I have to learn things. I always want to be learning things. You know, I'd love to, I'd love to have got a black belt in karate. It's one of the biggest regrets in my life. I never stuck with karate and went back to karate, but I got so absorbed with Brazilian jiu-jitsu that that took my life in a different direction. Then I started doing MMA and fighting MMA and doing all that. Um, but in terms of techniques, I still now use some of the techniques I learned in karate, you know. I'll still use them. Even my MMA classes, I'll use the Guy Kazuki, I love Guy Kazuki, I love Mike Gary, I love the um, Ashi Barai, you know, things like that. I love it and I'll use them. Um, so there's no, there's no derogatory connotation with that title other than to people who aren't willing to read the book. What I'd say is open your mind, read the book, and open the book and read the book, you know, not just for myself, not, not in this to make money. Anybody who's written a book knows that to make money is a massive, massive dream it's it's probably never going to happen you'll make you might make a few quid you might make a you know 100 quid here 100 quid there but you're never going to get rich off of writing books like that i just don't see you're not unless you're jeff thompson and guys like that that brings me to another point if jeff thompson had brought out a book that said karate doesn't work in a phone box most of the people watching this will be jumping up and down going yeah you're right jeff yeah it doesn't make it but because somebody they haven't heard of has said it they're going to jump on there. They're going to jump on that bandwagon and go, well, you're disrespectful. Well, no, I'm not. I'm saying to you, open your mind, open the book, read the book. You know, I could have called it Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu doesn't work in a phone box if that's what my dad said. Or, you know, anything doesn't work in a phone box. Whatever he'd said, I would have put in the title. You know, I'm not going to change that title because that's what was said to me. And it's, that's the way it is. Um, it is it is funny that uh, we actually talk about it. Um, I don't know you're aware of uh, bunkai ba uh, uh, bunkai bastards as a group of people who do uh, bunkai. Yeah, yeah. So we've been actually talking about the same thing that uh, martial arts becoming a religion and and there's one Christ of karate or couple of whoever you follow and then whatever he says is glorified and you know it's it doesn't matter but people who are just uh, doing their own thing and say something oh no you're completely wrong because uh, you know the absolutely you see it all the time and people place too much emphasis on 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 um 
building these icons out of people and making them into to gods and godlike people who are just normal guys like me and you. You know, they just came down the same path we did. They trained the same as we did. They got in and they were talking about reality-based fighting, and that's great. And I'm a big fan of Jeff Thompson and guys like him, Kevin O'Hagan, guys like that who were reality-based guys. Brilliant. You know, it's absolutely fantastic. And then the fact that they found a platform to get that out there and the guys who came after them, like Ian Abernethy and guys like that, they're all great guys, you know. And I love to watch. I love to read. I, I'm, I'll read everything on martial arts. I'll pick anything up. I want to read it. I want to, I want to educate myself. So for, for people to close their minds over something that somebody says without having listening to their argument or listening to their viewpoint, is it's very close. It's a very closed way to live your life. And, and in my view, a very unhealthy way to live your life. You know, we should be open to everything. So just because I love Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, doesn't mean that I don't love karate, doesn't mean that I don't love all the other martial arts. It doesn't also mean that I can watch every martial art and go, that's brilliant and that's great and that's going to work in a street fight. Because a lot of the stuff out there is, is absolute rubbish, to be honest, you see in self-defense classes. Mm. You see a lot of these guys, I watched a video the other day of this guy knocking people out without touching them and it's ridiculous. It's absolutely ludicrous. I would say here and now, if anybody's watching this who can do that, please come to my gym in Blackpool and do that to me. I'd love you to do that. I'd love you to prove me wrong, but I don't think that that works. I just don't see it. I just don't get it. But that could be, again, I could be hypocritical there. I'm closing my mind to it. So that's why I'm saying, come and show me it works. Show me, and I'll believe it. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think that uh, martial arts, um, especially the traditional ones, because sports kind of stay away from um, claiming they are self-defense, but the traditional martial artists are very easily jumping into, oh yeah, we do self-defense, which have nothing to do with self-defense, um, at least not with the current times. No. Um, so you haven't, moved, you haven't moved with the times. You're absolutely right. Things that people show are from the samurai era when people had big swords, heavy armor, they were slower to respond. You could catch something there. You could take that sword or that knife out of them because they're so slow to move. Nowadays, people don't show you a blade before they stab you. They, you know, they're opportunists. They'll just hide the blade and they'll stick it in you, you know, or they'll cut you or whatever. And if you, if you get into a knife fight expecting to come away unscathed, you're an idiot. You will get caught. You get into a fight with someone punching, you're going to get punched in the face. You know, you have to adapt yourself to, to those situations. But you're right, you know, people are selling a lot to people. They're selling, they're making a lot of money by claiming to be, you know, self-defense gurus. And some of these people have never had a fight in their life. So that's like learning to swim off somebody who can't swim. It's ridiculous. It's pointless. Hmm. I, I, I made, uh, not, I, uh, not, um agree with you completely about uh, coaching because I think I think we've got so many examples and principles that you can uh, learn and actually teach people without being in the fights okay. um, but you need to but you need to be transparent about it it's I always say to my students you know that's the way you can break the arm but I never broke it so I cannot give you 100% guarantee that it's gonna I know it happened I never done it so you have to be transparent I think that's the biggest problem with martial arts that people um, are being sold stuff without being 
completely uh, transparent. So, for example, on mine, if student comes to me, I never say that I'm teaching self-defense because I don't. I do, I do martial arts and I enjoy that, that aspect of it. Um, which brings me to the question, um, you almost, oh, you've got a full-time gym, I've, I, I gathered. Um, what are you covering in there? Is it just Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu? You said MMA. Um, do you bring other people in or are you just running it pure yourself? No, it's Savage MMA. It's in Blackpool, Town Centre. Anybody can walk through the doors, anybody can come train. We are predominantly in a mixed martial arts gym. So mixed martial arts can mean anything, as you well know. You can mix any martial arts and call it mixed martial arts. There's no set curriculum for a mixed martial art. Um, my main thing is Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. I'm a second degree black belt under Mario Sakata. Um, but, you know, I say I've fought in MMA, I've done MMA, I've taught guys in, to a high standard in MMA to fight on big shows. I predominantly focus on Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and MMA. That's not to say that I don't bring other people in to teach. If someone's got something, show me, come and show me, share it with me. You know, I want to learn. So I even said to you the other day, I'd love to have you down. I'd love to have you at my dojo teaching. I'd love that. It'd be great. Um, and, you know, anybody who's got anything to say, I want to listen to. So, yeah, we, we are. We are a predominantly mixed martial arts gym, but we shouldn't be boxed into anything because we call ourselves that. You know, I'm open to everything. I have judo guys come down. I want to learn judo. So I've been doing, I've been doing judo for a long time, but not, not to any degree where I do it a lot enough to get any better than I, I currently am probably but I like these judo guys coming down to show me how to break balance how to take the, how they get the grips what, what, why do they use grips differently to some jiu-jitsu so I can learn off anybody you know I've got some great judo guys Dave Chastel is one of my brown belts Dave Chastel is an amazing judo guy uh, from Hertfordshire he comes down I've got great judo guys in the area um you know, Blackpool's got a wealth of great judo talent. Um, so I'm lucky to have good judo guys on my doorstep, uh, good friends, good karate guys I know. So I'll learn off anybody. I'll bring them all in. You know, we're not, we're certainly not closed-minded, you know. Um, it's just a title. It's Savage MMA, that's what we call it. But it doesn't mean that's all we do. We do everything that we can to, to be as good as we can be, and to make good human beings, really. And we have a lot of kids' classes. We have ladies' self-defense classes. We do a lot of things in there. So yeah, we, don't just, we don't just do one, one thing. Um, what is your take on current situation where we cannot uh, train? And I know that you want to get back as soon as possible to the, to the gyms, as we all want to. But um, it's a kind of phenomenon that uh, most of the martial arts was taking a laugh or a mickey out of kata and suddenly you can see that um, bjj started to create their own kata they don't call it kata but everybody been oh. forced forced to do it what's your take on it you've seen the both sides you've done karate kata. Well, i've never been wanted to uh, take the mickey out of kata let's just lay that one there because kata has its benefits you know as does any kind of any kind of solo drills that the BJJ guys are doing now, which they've done for years, by the way, this is nothing new. There's been solo drills apparently in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu for years. Um, you know, you need to keep your body moving. You need to be healthy. So in that respect, it's a good thing. Um, but yeah, you're right. So 
for years and years, people have looked at people doing what they do. Some people have termed it like it's like dancing and all of that. But, you know, there are, there's reasons why the movements are there. There's reasons why this is being done. So we, we can't be disrespectful. We have to we have to sometimes embrace that other martial arts have answers that we don't. And I think that's been apparent during this so-called pandemic uh, that we're going through. Um, whether you believe or believe not, people have died from this and it's a horrible thing. And we have to be mindful of that. And the way we're training maybe has to change. You know, I read Matt State's book um, around the same time I read your book. And that opened up some really interesting debates. You know, it's a really good book for anybody as well um, that, that wants to, to look at the whole is martial arts becoming extinct because of the new ways of training, the online training, online versus reality. You know, there's all of those things going on at the moment. And I honestly think you can find positives out of any negative. Yeah, this has been a horrible time, but also let's look at what it's, what, what's happened during this time. People have connected more, so people have started to talk more. Me and you were talking for a start. Mm. Maybe we wouldn't have spoken if we hadn't gone through this COVID thing. Maybe we would. But I noticed when I'm walking my dog, people are more friendly. They're talking to you. How are you doing? How's your day? You're okay. You're healthy. People are more caring. There's more kindness out there. So there's a definite change in the way we're doing and seeing things. That's the positives. Some of the negatives are it really shows a spotlight on people's um, how they, they get greedy. They want to, McDonald's is open, right? I want to go now. I'm going to queue for two hours to get that McDonald's. And I don't care that I'm blocking up neighborhoods. People can't get into their own homes and all of that. It shows the, the, the good and the bad in society, I think, this, this whole pandemic. In terms of martial arts, you know, we, we've had to, it's been a very stressful time because we're not paying our bills. We've got dojos sitting empty. People, we, there's a chance we're going to lose uh, students because of it. So there's some real challenges for us. How do we keep people engaged, especially in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, which is very much, you know, you rely on a partner to demonstrate the moves. You know, in karate, you can show moves. You know, I've watched several of your videos where you're showing the, the techniques. It's hard to do that with Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, you know, as if you're, you're throwing someone or putting an arm lock on somebody who isn't there. It's very hard. You could use a grappling dummy, you can do that, there's ways around that. But Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu is very much an alive martial art, you know, and aliveness in martial arts shouldn't just be in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, it should be in every martial art. I know it's apparent in karate, you guys spar, you, you're, you know, um, ways of testing techniques. That is a big part of martial arts. So um, there's got to be ways of doing things during this time that we can progress and can keep things going, but it has been very, very hard, very difficult. You know, I've had some very low points thinking, when's it going to get back? When am I going to open my doors again? You know, am I ever going to get back to having those full classes? And it's just very difficult, Les. You know yourself, it's very frustrating for martial artists when you see pubs opening today, for example. It's madness, you know, if you've worked the yeah. doors. Any, any guy who's ever worked the doors will tell you this is, this is a really bad thing. You, you think about um, guys getting drunk and, and, and you trying to tell them, oh, your time frame's over now, you've got to go and the next lot are coming in. You try telling that to a drunk on a Saturday night, you know, I said this morning on Facebook, it's going to be like herding cats. It's going to be impossible to keep people safe. And yet they won't open gyms where the, the benefits are health, 
you know, fitness, well-being to the mind, all of those things, you know, it's, it's madness to me, but you know, it's just my opinion. Yeah, I think they, they're going to open in, in two weeks' time, Boris said something. Um, yeah. But I, I totally get your um, live martial arts because it's, it, although we do, yes, kata and stuff like that, it is a huge struggle for me to, most of my classes are hands-on, so yeah. because I, like wrestling and uh, jiu-jitsu, it's, it's all hands-on. Uh, it's very difficult for me to run classes on Zoom, trying to figure out how to fill up all the hour with just uh, techniques in the air. Um, so I understand how that is. Okay, one difficult question. You might uh, not, not, not need to answer it um, in relation to BJJ. I think um, all the, that kind of questions are a bit um, touchy. And uh, is, where is BJJ heading? I see more, I follow a few BJJ people. I'm interested in the organization side of it. And it seems to be that there is more and more divisions in. We're doing the only proper one. These people are doing that. Is BJJ heading the way of karate, taekwondo, and other martial arts where everybody's going to have their own little branch and pulling towards the same instead of unifying? There's always been that risk. I mean, there was that risk in, in all martial arts when karate first came over from Japan in the 60s, the 50s and the 60s. Very tough, very tough training and commercialism and all that. You, money gets involved, it changes things. And I think it's true of every martial art. It's not just true of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Um, I can only really talk about my school. My master, Mario Sakata, runs a very tough, what he calls an old school, old school Jiu-Jitsu, which is something that we, his black belts, aspire to teach our students. So there's always going to be commercialism. It's always going to change things up. There are, there are changes now in how Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu is. Um, it, are, are people still teaching the self-defense aspect? Is it more of a sporting aspect? Is there, is there a place for merging it where it's partially self-defense, partially sport? I tend to look at the whole, the whole thing of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu um, and try to teach self-defense as well as the sporting applications. I don't want to lose any part of the art that I train in, and I'm sure you don't. You know, the traditional has its place, as does the modern game. Um, the problem is that some people don't see that and don't want to, to, to see that. They want their, like you said earlier, they want their style to be the style, and everything else is rubbish, and everything else is no good because you do it this way, you're not moving with the times or you're stuck in tradition, but you're not, you're not actually embracing what we're saying. Well, actually, I try to keep an open mind. You know, I, things like Berenbola that people would say, well, it's very new jujitsu. Well, I, I learn it. I try and I try and learn it because I want to teach it to my students. It, for a 56 year old man like myself, it's hard to do a Berenbola. It's hard to do certain of these new modern jujitsu techniques, but it doesn't mean I shouldn't learn them. I have to teach them. I've got 17, 16 year old students who can do it and do it very well. Doesn't mean I shouldn't learn it. I have to learn it. I have to move with the times. Um, and, and martial arts have to move with the times. So how we, how we look at things has to change as well. I don't care if the Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu school up the road from me does things different to me. I'm not concerned with that. Good luck to them. I hope they make you know, something of what they do and I hope they can make the bills and and, and they're happy because that's what it is in the end of the day. I just want them to do what makes them happy. I'm not bothered. I'm not concerned about them. I'm not bothered with petty jealousies in martial arts, you know. Um, 
I just do martial arts for what the benefit gives me. I can't do it for what it does for you. We're all individuals, and that's the point. So there is a trend now in, Brazil, in Brazilian jiu-jitsu that is more competition orientated, but it's not a bad thing. It's not a bad thing to compete. It's not a bad thing now that you know, you know we are pushing kids to compete again. There's, there's been that trend for kids when they're in sports day. Oh, there's no losers anymore. There's no you can't lose anymore. We do we give a medal to the person who came last. Well, to my mind, you know that's not a healthy way to live either. Yeah, you don't want people to feel bad because they've lost, but you don't also want to take away the achievement of someone who's trained hard and won. It's just ridiculous. So um, the trend towards competition is good. The trend towards putting some more self-defense into Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu is good in my mind. Wherever it goes, I'm going to follow it. I'm going to go with it if I feel it's good. The only, the only place I don't like to go is when it gets disrespectful. It's not nice and people are slagging each other off. I don't like that. I don't follow that whole credence. I'm not part of that. I don't want to be part of that. So... Understood. Um, okay, uh, that brings us to the methodological question. Um, so when you teach, I, I find that um, with my students, because I'm a tiny guy, I weigh massive 68 kilograms, mm. <laughs> a beast. Um, and I have to uh, look up sometimes stuff which uh, will not work for me, but it's beneficial for my bigger, longer, taller students. How do you overcome that? Because BJJ, I know from, uh, from my, my teacher and uh, from my Kempo teacher who does the groundwork as well, that the build affects your technique. Things which uh, short people can pull off with easily for a tall people is really, really difficult and other way around with some techniques. I'm not saying all of it, but some techniques. Um, and as well, then let's let's uh, be true to that myth that it doesn't matter how big you are. It does matter. Heavy people are difficult to deal with. Um, how do you overcome, from the point of view of a coach from uh, BJJ, the different builds of the people and how you adapt to yeah. that? It's a really good question. So I've always said to my students that teaching any martial art is kind of like teaching somebody to read and write. So. When you start, you learn the alphabet, you learn the letters that form the alphabet, and then you learn to put letters together to form words. And from those words, you learn sentences, and then from sentences, you can learn to write your own story. And that's what martial arts is to me. So I'll give you the tools to learn how to write, but what you write with those words, is your, that's down to you. You write your own story. So what works for me might not work for you with different weights. But I will show you um, key components, key concepts within moves that will help you. Yeah, it will help you to get more um, weight behind you. It'll help your distribution of weight more. And it's just simple things like moving the spine. It's like inside control. So I was teaching somebody not so long back in the distant past when we couldn't see, <laughs> where he was having trouble holding somebody in a side control position. Um, and I showed him one little variation where you move your body at a slight angle, which puts more pressure on their neck, which makes them turn. And then it makes it almost impossible for, for the guy on the bottom to turn into you, which means that their hips are restricted, which is a big part of jujitsu. It's all about hip control, distance management, all of those key concepts. And th those little things like, just making those little adjustments kind of a massive effect. And that doesn't matter if you're 
25 stone or 10 stone wet through. If you can apply those concepts, you will make your technique better. Some techniques I'll show. I can see the guys in the class going, oh, that's not for me. It's not. I can remember years and going back years and years ago when I was a blue belt and Mario was showing me um, what we call a De La Hiva guard and things like that. And he showed me something um, that I just couldn't get. And I drove home from that private lesson. I was beating myself up. I couldn't sleep at night and I got it in my head. My body won't do that. It's not right for me. I can't do it. Even though he was, he was much bigger than me and he could do it, and he could make it look very flowing. I made it a point to, to find a way to make that work for me. And that maybe wasn't necessarily how he taught it, but he left it open-ended enough for me to add my bits into to, to make that jigsaw whole. And I, that's how I learned, and that's how I teach. I leave enough space for somebody to go, well, you know that technique you showed me last week? I've just done this. Is this okay? I said, does it work for you? Yeah, well, it's fine, because it works for you. doesn't mean it's going to work for me doing that. Some things, they'll come and say, I'm doing this now, and I'll say, well, don't do that, because that's going to lead to this, and I'm going to show you why. Some things... There's a universal truth of you can't change. There's just a universal truth. The masses that went before us found it, so we have to respect it to a certain degree. But evolution happens when people do question things. That's how evolution happens. And sometimes questions bring new answers. They bring new ways. And that's not always a bad thing. You should always question. I would be really upset if my students didn't say to me, why is that working? What, what makes that work? What's making that work for him, but not for me? That's why I like martial arts. It's ever, ever, it forces you to go back inside. It forces you to go back. It forces you to progress. As an instructor, you will come on so much more with students that question you than people who follow you blindly like sheep. Like these guys who are just falling over when the master's looking at them in a certain way, falling over. How can you learn from that shit? You know, you, you've got to question it. I'd be saying to that guy, how are you going to knock me out? How's that making me fall over? Why, how's that working? You know, but I'm very much of that open-minded school of thought. that You have to question things. I've always questioned things. It's why when, when, when I went home that day dripping in blood, I said to my dad, why has this guy pulled my hair? Why is he scratching me? Why is he doing this? What can I do to counter that? What can I do? So you should always have that, and your students should always have that. But you should always be willing to do what you said earlier. You should always be willing to research. We haven't got all the answers. And sometimes with a black belt tied around your waist, people think, you know everything. Well, I don't know everything. I don't even know an infinite possibilities of something I have to research it. I have to be open-minded to go, well, why does that work, you know? When I got to brown belt, which is considered quite high grade in Brazilian jiu-jitsu, I thought, yeah, I know most things. I know everything. Then I got black belt and thought, I don't know anything. I don't know anything here. I need to work out why that works. What makes that work? What, what's the science behind it? You can't just look at a move and go, well, that works because of that. Well, it doesn't. It's got, it has to have the component parts behind it to make it work. Leverage, the Graces talk about leverage all the time. 
but most people don't understand it. Most people don't understand what leverage is. I had a guy come into my gym. He was an MMA guy. He knew how to do an Americana arm lock. And I taught, asked him to show me how to do this Americana arm lock, show me how you're doing it. And it was, there was so much gap in it. I thought, let me just show you how I do it. Let me just show you what I'm doing with that. I'm not moving as much as you. I'm not making as much big movements that are going to lead somebody to get a leg back in and pull guard. So I didn't say to him at the end of that lesson, you do it my way now, forget your way. I said to him, there's another option, try it. He came back a few months later, he says, I only use your way now because it works for me. I'm not getting reversed anymore. I'm not getting put in that position. But that's not to say my way is best. It doesn't mean that. It just means there's other ways of looking at things. And we should always be researching. We should always be looking. The day, the day we, we say we know everything is the day give up. Just give up. You don't, you'll never know everything. There's too much to learn. Yeah, that, that's what uh, most of the teachers say. And I, I'm with you on that one. Um, so uh, what was my question? I had some great question for you. Ah, I know. Um, so you said about questioning and open-mindedness. I'm getting upset with my students and asking questions because that thing that upsets me uh, if they don't question it. But within a martial, traditional martial artist, arts, um, is usually that you don't question your master. Is that uh, kind of culture in B, uh, BJJ as well, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu? Or my take on it is that there are people more open, they don't afraid asking questions and how is that looking in there? It can be, it can be. I would never, as a 12-year-old kid walking into Steve Cattle's class, stop the class and say to him, why is that working, Sensei? Why does that? He would absolutely have had me on my knuckles doing 200 press-ups or running around Southport barefooted in, you know, my, my karate gi. He would absolutely have, have wiped the floor with me. Um, I think it is, it's more of a culture change to the times we're living in now. People want to know, they want to... They want to know more. Um, I'm not saying that it's always a good thing for somebody to stand up in a class and do it. There's ways of doing it. There's respect. There's still respect needs to be had. I would never do it to my coach, Mario Sicardo. I'd never go halfway through teaching. Oh, I don't do it like that, Mario. I do it like... I would, just wouldn't do it because it's not who I am. That's not what I'm saying. When I'm saying question it, there's a way to do it. Come later and say, well, you know, I've tried that technique, coach, but it just didn't work for me. What, what am I doing wrong? Am I doing something wrong? And, or I tried this and maybe it works better. Am I allowed? Is this okay to do it? Well, yeah, of course. You know, there's ways of approaching things, Les, that aren't disrespectful, that are healthy, healthy debate. Um, but I do think it's a culture change, and I think it's it's more to do with the times that have changed um, more than the martial arts, really. Uh, the, the things have moved on. Um, Japanese jiu-jitsu, for example, that I, I also hold Dan grades in, is a very different art to Brazilian jiu-jitsu in that respect, you know, um, the hierarchies and all of that. We always bow in and out of our classes in Brazilian jiu-jitsu, and some classes do and some don't in Brazilian jiu-jitsu. I've always done it because it's a way of honouring the arts that went before. You know, every art came from somewhere, whether it's back to Kung Fu, which they say everything kind of came from, or some skills say Jiu-Jitsu came. Whatever it was, two insects fighting and a monk watching them, whatever it was, I'm bowing to those traditions. I'm bowing to the people who put themselves on the line and learnt those things so that I could then 
teach them and, and be taught them. So there are ways of doing things. You're absolutely right. You, you can't be disrespectful. I don't like to see disrespect in the dojo. I don't like to see people bullying. I don't like to see people, um, you know, taking the mickey out of people for perceived differences. I won't have them in my dojo, but they're gone. Um, there is still a big thing with me about respect and traditional values that I do uphold in my dojo. But, you know, when we roll, we slap hands, we bump fists and we go. You know, there's there's no on the floor bowing like we would some in some other martial arts. That's not to say it's right or wrong. It's just different. You know, it came from the Brazilian culture, the surf, the surf culture and all of that, that jujitsu is kind of associated with. But it's not to say it's right or wrong. You know, I bow to people. I bow to all uh, other martial artists. Someone comes into my dojo and they have very set value base of a traditional um, style. If you came to my dojo, for example, and say, Gary, this is what I do. This is how I teach. I will have them bow to me. They will call me sensei. That's what we're going to do because I respect that totally. Um, I don't. I don't get called sensei. I don't. I, nobody calls me sensei. Um, they'll shout over the mat, Gaz, can you come? Can you help me with this? And that's fine by me. Um, you know, but in Brazilian Jiu Jitsu, it's more what they call professor. So um, I don't know if anybody calls me professor. And if they do, I'm probably the nuttiest professor you'll ever meet. But it's, it's just the way that arts are. Everyone's different. Everyone's, you know, doing the way, doing things the way they see and how they want to progress people. But no two schools are alike, are they? Yeah, schools are different, you know. When Sensi Anoda came over for the first seminar in the UK, I badgered my dad to let me go on that seminar. I wanted to train with Anoda. My hero, and one of, and still is one of my biggest heroes in martial arts, was Kanazawa. I read about Kanazawa when I was 11, 12 years old, how he scrubbed the dojo in the mornings, then he'd do 12 hours of practice and his knuckles were bleeding, his feet were bleeding, and he would train for perfection. That stayed with me ever since. I love that work ethic. I love that whole thing. But going back to when Anoda came over, I badgered my dad to, to let me go. And when he came over and taught that class, I went home in, almost in tears. I was terrified. He had a stick. He would, he would hit you with a stick. He would, he would push you. He would shout at you. He was really like, it was frightening to a 12-year-old boy you know, with mental health issues. It was frightening. Um, but it didn't stop me training. It was just a different way. You know, I'd go back the next week and Steve Cattle would train in his way. And very, Steve Cattle could be a very frightening man as well to a 12-year-old. He put up with no, no rubbish in the class. You know, if someone was messing about, they were out, they were gone. You know, um, and that's respect. And that you need to breed that respect in your classes. But there's different ways of doing that, I think, so... Um, let's go back to your book. Um, uh, I know that after, I didn't expect it after releasing my book, but I had a fantastic response from the readers and from martial arts um, society uh, with the really touching uh, messages, including one of saving life, which yeah. uh, is the best, best uh, payment for a book reward. Um, what was your experience after releasing your book? Uh, from the martial arts or overall whoever read, read it? I can only go off the reviews people leave for me and, and the messages I get. So 
Um, I've had some lovely messages. I've had people who've suffered with bipolar, who've read it and have said to me that it resonates with them so much and it like mirrors their whole um, concept of how life was for them as a child and into adulthood. So you're absolutely right. You know, I've had people say to me, you know, I've been at the point where I've, the only way I can see is out of suicide. I didn't know how to go on. I didn't know how to challenge the medical profession about you know, medications and, and alternative ways of dealing with things. So I've had some really positive things from that, really. And I've said all along that if only one person buys that book and gets something from it, like your experience where somebody said you saved their life, that's worth the book for me. That's worth the three years of writing that book it took. Um, and and that sounds a bit sort of airy-fairy, sort of new age, all this, what do they call them, snowflake sort of attitude, but it isn't. It's around, I, I got into martial arts to help me, and then I got into martial arts later on to help other people, to, to, to show them the benefits that it gave me. I wrote that book and, it, and a very honest book, you know, and like your book is, I actually put a review on your book saying it's, one, it's so honest, your book, you know, at times it had me very, very emotional. I'm not ashamed to say, you know, it upset me in times and it made me very emotional the way you wrote. And you actually said to me in a message once, I'm not a writer. I'd say that's absolutely rubbish. You are a very good writer. You wrote, you, you wrote things that stirred emotions in me. You made me feel part of the journey you took me from just holding a bit of paper to feeling I was part of that book so I, I would disagree with you there Les you are a writer you're, you're a good writer and you've something to say and I think I've got something to say as well and it's how we get that message across if by doing a martial arts class you can get that across to 10 20 people I don't know how many people you've got but a book has the power to get a word out spread your word further it has the power to to open people up to um, different concepts and different ideas, you know, and to go back over it and look at it again and say, there's a message there for me. I made a lot of mistakes in my life. I was fighting a lot. I nearly went to prison. You know, I've been in, in horrific, horrific dust-ups in my time. I've, I've, you know, I've had broken bones. I've had my jaw broken. I've lost my ear was ripped off. You know, I've, I've a, lot of, a lot of things have happened to me that I wouldn't change one second of because they make you the person you are and the, the way you get your story across is is to write it down and hope people can get something from it but that doesn't mean that you reading about me fighting in bars and pubs is going to help you it's how i got past that that will help you maybe it's because you might be starting on that destructive self-destructive journey and can't see past it at the moment but when you can read that somebody else did it and actually got through it and changed the whole life it might give you that little bit of um hope that there is a light at the end of this tunnel you know that it doesn't all have to be such a dark journey you, you, you can come through it i certainly when i was younger didn't see anything i, I couldn't see a future i thought i'm gonna end up either in prison for the violence i was getting in or I'd end up on a mortuary slab. Those were the options um, at the time when I was growing up. I'm a lot older than you. I, we had rampant unemployment. There was a lot of, um, it was a very, very dour sort of existence back in the days. And it's looking like things could, could, could go that way again. We don't know. 
but you have to get through them somehow. Um, and I wrote about my experiences and that's all I can do. I can't write about your experience. I can't write a book going, this is how Les did it. So I'm going to, I'm going to write about how Les did it because I don't, I won't, I'm not you. You're not me. Mm-hmm. You can write how you are, but you hope that somebody can take something from it. And, and that's all we do. So that book to me is my, it's my way of saying thank you to some people. because Some people saved me and helped me along the way. You know, people like Mario Sakata who got me into Brazilian jiu-jitsu properly. I trained for years before I met him, but it's only when I met Mario Sakata that I really, really started to, to get Brazilian jiu-jitsu. You know, my dad was my hero growing up. You know, I take things he said. He was a very quiet man. He didn't speak unless he had to, but the things he did say were, were very poignant and helped me in later life. But at the time, I didn't realise they would. Um, and my mom, you know, all, all, all the people you have to give a nod to. And it's kind of a book, writing a book is sometimes a nod to those people as well as saying, you know, I'm here because of them, but I'm also here because I had something inside me that made me fight my way through it. Like when I read your book, you know, it was your desperate struggle to, to get past the anxiety and you, you achieved it. You, you did it. It took such bravery. But I, but I think it was braver. The thing you did was to write about it, show yourself in a very vulnerable way. And I thought it was a very brave thing to do. And my book also, the, the last chapters are very hard reading. My son, my oldest son, has had the book now for um, probably six months and hasn't opened it. He said, I can't read it, Dad, because I know what happened to you. He said, I know what your life was like. He said, I know how you grew up, the rough, the rough times. He said, I know that you, at, at, the end, at the end where you started writing this book, you were very close to suicide. He said, I can't, I don't, I can't read it at the moment. He will read it one day, probably when I'm gone. He'll probably read it and probably understand it. Um, or he might get to a point in his life where he, he feels he can read it. He'll get the courage to read it then. But it's hard, it's very hard to write a book that takes everything from you. I would say it's like it's like me giving you my bank account. You're you're someone who needs money. I'll give you my bank account. It's going to leave me bankrupt, maybe if you take all my money. But it's going to help you. So it's kind of like doing that. It's like giving out, giving so much of yourself to someone that you, you, sometimes you're not you're not comfortable doing. And I I went through a real some real dark times thinking, oh, shall I put this book out there? People who've looked at me, who've seen me, you know, on the podium with a gold medal, are going to see me, you know, in MMA and all that. And, and then you show a really weak side in people's minds. But it isn't weak. It's not weak to fight. It's not weak to end up on the floor. It's not weak to, to fail. It's weak if you don't try and do something about it, maybe, or, 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 or don't look at ways to deal with it. But is there a weakness? You know, how can we say it's weak? So writing that book was very hard. Publishing it was very hard. But I'm really pleased that I did. I'm proud that I did. I just hope people will read it and get past the title. You know, I hope that... I don't think about changing the title to Cry Works in a phone box, you know, and then all the cry guys will start reading it and go, well, oh, nice one, you know. But, um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know the answers totally to life, but... I do know the answers to my life. I suppose that's all we can say. Thank you for your kind words. Uh, I started reading. I'm on the chapter three, and I think it's very engaging. And um, 
it's amazing you can what you went through uh, your childhood I'm on the moment after you nearly drowned and all your fights uh, it just sparked up to my mind that uh, you've proven proven your worth to your surname with all that fight <laughs> not a good thing <laughs> uh, well that's where we are as you said what are your future plans for um, writing training yeah well writing is certainly something i've always want loved doing this is actually my second book by the way i've got another book out well it's actually gone out of print now if there was still a woolworths it would have ended up in the bargain basement it's gone and we wrote it me and mario uh, wrote it um together he did all the martial arts techniques i did all the writing in it and i can remember coming into class one day, i said mario why have you never wrote a book he says I'd not know how to start. I said, well, neither would I, but let's have a look. Let's try and do it. And we got this book um, together called Mario Sakata's Definitive Guide to Mixed Martial Arts. And we wrote it. It took about three years. The pictures in it, all of that. We got a publisher to publish it. And it didn't do a great deal. It did probably all right sales for the publisher, but Mario and I never saw a penny out of it. So there is another book out there that's <laughs> not doing well. Um, well, I thought it was a good book. I thought the people who read it enjoyed it. The people who saw the techniques loved the techniques. So I'm proud of it in that respect. But I've always enjoyed writing. I've always wrote, I've always written anyway. I've always, like, whether it's short stories or whatever, I've always loved writing. Um, so at the minute I'm working on another book. I've, I'm 34,000 words in at the moment. And it's more, I see it as more of a, a humorous look at, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu in the old days, how how we started in 1993-94 and in this country, as in other countries, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu just wasn't available. You couldn't you couldn't get on, you couldn't find it. And so I started writing this book and it, I was doing it in more of a humorous way. I wanted it to be less. There was this humor in my other book, Cries and Working in a Phone Box, had some very funny moments in it because with tragedy comes humour. That's the, the two go together. It's like yin and yang. It, you mm. get that. It's, people have said it made them laugh in places, it made them cry in places, much like your book did with me. You know, those parts in that book that made me laugh, those parts that made me cry, you know. And that's a good book. That's, that's the, a really good, a good story. That's a good narrative. So this new book is more, I'm trying to get more of a humour in it, but I want it to be factual as to how it happened, you know. Um, for example, I was talking about just today when I was working on it about when I met Hicks and Gracie in Brazil, and Hicks and Gracie is God in a gi to me. I mean, that's like that would be like if Bruce Lee was alive and I met him in Spa. It would be like, oh my God! But I've always wanted to meet Hicks and Gracie, and I was in Brazil in 2009 competing over there. And Mario, myself, and, and our friend Kojak were walking through the streets of Rio. And I saw this guy in a Hicks and Gracie t-shirt and we got closer and I said, Mario, he's, he's got a Hicks and Gracie cap on as well. And he said, yeah, but we're in Brazil, Gary, people were. It'd be like in Liverpool on match day, seeing somebody in an Everton shirt or a Liverpool shirt, it's just the norm. Gosh, no, Mario, there's something, something here. We got closer to him and it was Hicks and Gracie. And we actually ended up having lunch with Hicks and Gracie. It was just the wow. most thing ever that you wanted to meet somebody and you didn't do it in a seminar where you paid 200 pounds to train with him. You met him in an outdoor kiosk in Rio and ended up buying lunch for him. 
And him talking to you about his philosophy on jiu-jitsu and how he wanted to come to the UK and all of that. So the stories in that book that are also in Karate Doesn't Work in a Film, and there's a couple of stories that kind of go, they overlap, but I've given it a different angle, a slightly different angle. And I'm really enjoying writing this book. Um, I'm hoping it's going to be out around November. And it's called All Aboard the Gracie Train. It's about getting on to how I got on to jiu-jitsu and how when the Gracies came out, it was like, how do we learn this? Where do we go to learn it? You know, it's like any martial art cry came over. It was like, I want to learn from a Japanese master. I need to learn off a Japanese master. It's all those frustrations. So in terms of that, that's what I'm focusing on the minute. I want to get the book finished. But I did, and I have conversations with you as well, and I'm hoping that we can definitely do something where we do something together for martial mental health, you know, whatever we call it, whatever we label it. I want to do something where we are doing maybe a seminar to raise awareness or a series of talks or whatever we do, because your experiences, although different to mine, because we have different issues with our mental health they overlap in a lot of ways they overlap in the perceived um how people perceive them people with mental health and martial arts so i think it will be really good for for me and you to do something together uh, i'm hoping that you you're going to do something along those lines whether we can get a seminar or you know we could write something together or i don't know there's something i want to do things with other people because i want to i want to move away from being pigeonholed as a Brazilian jiu-jitsu guy who can't go and train with his mate Les and do karate under him and get good at karate under him. And I want to get away from that. I want to go back to sort of learning, being a student again, I suppose. But there's so much I want to do. And especially when I'm on a hype, when I'm, when I'm, when I'm up there, I want to take on the world. I want to be the Prime Minister of England. I want to do a better job than Bojo's doing, and I don't think that'd be too odd at the minute. But, um, you know, it's things like that. I have so many ideas. I wake up at 2 o'clock in the morning with an idea, and I've got to do it. I've got to get it on paper. And that's why I said at the start of this, I don't always see bipolar as a, a curse. I see it as a gift sometimes. It gives me energy. It gives me a spark. It sparks something in me that makes me want to do something. Yeah. Um, I think any mental health is harder on other people than it is sometimes on the person who's yeah. suffering it. And I don't mean that to be negative to people. I'm talking from my perspective. When I'm down, I'm low. God, I'm feeling it. But when I'm high, I'm also feeling that. It's the people who are seeing it. I mean, my business partner, Hazel, who I love to bits, she, she's known me for years. She's brown belt under me. She says to me, she dreads sometimes me coming in hyper. Yeah, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do Because she knows that that's going to follow. It's going to take a roller coaster. You're there at the minute, but you're going to do that. And she, she's seen me at the lowest. She's seen me at that. And it's hard on people. It's hard on your children seeing that. It's hard on your partner. I'm lucky I've got a great partner, Janet, who who gets me, she, she understands me and she helps me. Um, and I'm very fortunate in that, but some people don't have that. And that's the people I want to reach and, and you help me to reach. Um, you know, those people who are on their own, who don't think there's anything for them, that don't see a future, let's try and get them involved in martial arts. And it doesn't have to be martial arts, boxing, it can be anything. 
football. Let's change. Let's change people's views on life. Let's try and help them. So I know it sounds a bit like um, Gandhi-ish, but you know, it, it's kind of like I want to do something. I don't want to leave this earth going. We didn't do anything. We just he lived till he was eighty, if he was lucky, and didn't leave anything. There was no. There was nothing there. You know, I want people to, to have gone, well, he did try to help, he tried to help people. But I think sometimes that can be done for wrong reasons as well, sometimes. But that's what I want to do. I want to channel my doubt, channel a lot of the energies I have in those directions uh, and work with people like yourself. I mean, Matt State kind of brought us together a bit, didn't he? Mm. But I think you'd already seen the title of my book and I think we'd already had, uh, I think yeah. we Tells me something about it all. I think I think we spoke on the Ian's webpage or something like that. I think you posted in Ian's uh, forum or somebody posted or, maybe. Maybe. or somewhere on Facebook. But I know where we spoke before. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah I'm, I'm definitely uh, up for uh, doing something together. I think it'd be great. Well, uh, I'm going to bring you to my academy to teach because. Yeah, I've watched some of your videos. I really like them. So I think that'll be great. I think it'll open up people's minds as well. Like, I think sometimes people come into an art and that's all they can see. We, if you don't know what else is out there, you know. Mm. Uh, that, that, as you said about it being a, like Gandhi, um, that's why I'm doing our Karate for Mental Health every year. Um, just to do, give something back to the society, you know. I've been fortunate. Uh, you, got, karate... you got so much from it. So. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. Um, could you tell me where um, listeners can find information, reach you, buy the book? Uh, yeah, I have a couple of uh, Facebook pages. There's Gary O'Sav. Um, uh, Gary O's a play on Mario. We all have nicknames in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, and Mario has always called me Gary O. Uh, I used to call myself Gary O'Sakasa just for a wind-up, but he's, it's stuck with me, Gary O. So Gary O'Sav on Facebook. Or oh, there's Gary Savage, writer, author. There's a page there you can check up on. There's also Gary J. Savage, uh, writer. There's a web page on that. There's a lot of my articles. Article. I did a lot of articles for Martial Arts Illustrated when it was going. I did a lot of writing on places like that. So there's, there's, some, there's some articles on there you can read. and There's things like that. But Yeah, but if, if people want to chat, just chat. Hit me up. Send me a message and... You know, especially if these things I've talked about are um, affect you, I'm happy to speak to people. I'm happy to pick a phone up. I can remember, and this is another reason I wrote the book as well. I forgot about this, and it's a massive thing. Um, going back to Jeff Thompson, when I was really low and I was thinking about writing that book, one of my good friends, Jeff Thomas, who's weird because he's Jeff Thomas, and he knows Jeff Thompson. He's a really good boxer, Jeff Thomas in Blackpool, very well-known lad. He said, look, I've got Jeff Thompson's phone number. I said, what? He said, yeah. He says, why don't you give him a ring and talk to him, guys, and have a chat with him? I thought, well, he ain't going to talk to me. He's like, he's mega, isn't he? He's like, you know, he's like the Bruce Lee of England. And everybody's a you know, hero. Anyway, um, about two hours later, he, Jeff must have given Jeff Thompson my phone. My phone rang. And I'm answering. He goes, I had Jeff Thompson here. And I'm talking to Jeff Thompson. And I'm telling him, within seconds, he'd opened me up and he's got me talking about how I'm feeling and all of this. And he just encouraged me so much to, to, to write this book and to, to get it out there. So in that respect, you know, that's a good thing. 
that's a good thing. But yeah, but I owe him quite a bit for that. So I've got the same with Ian Abernathy. <laughs> Ian Abernathy as well is someone else I, I totally respect. You know, I mean, I haven't seen him for years. I'd love to catch up with him. I'd love to trade some techniques with him again. So um, if he's watching this, you know. I'll come, I come to uh, Cumbria quite often because my, my oldest son lives there. He lives about seven miles from where Ian lives in Cockermouth, um, mm. in Seaton. So I come up there very, very often when COVID allows, you know, to see my grandchildren. And um, it would be good to bob in and see one of the in-sessions and do a bit of training with him again. So that would be sound, yeah. And I'm always up there because I teach him Workington quite a lot. Because I'm at Mark Hodgson's school, uh, Hokushinko. I'm up there quite a lot teaching Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. So I'm always in that area, you know. It's always good. Be nice if you can catch up. Okay, Gary. Thank you, Gary. It was a pleasure to have you. Yeah, lovely. Thank, you. thank you for all your insight. And uh, if you don't have his book, Gary's book, go and get it now. <laughs> Available on Amazon. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Thanks a lot, Les.